0: You know it really is a great thing when you can start a service with there is a fountain filled with blood and then you can at the end of that service celebrate the Lord's supper. What a privilege it is to worship God together as his people. It's it's wonderful to hear songs that are so explicitly gospel centered. You know songs that so clearly elevate the glory of Christ and his cross work. So I hope that you, your heart is already tuned towards the things of God this morning as you've come to worship him, as you've come to hear his word, to be together with God's people. And I pray that we'll be speaking the word of Christ into each other's lives today, that we won't just sort of hurry out of here. Some of us maybe have to leave quickly afterwards, but that we will be speaking truth, the truths that we've heard through song, prayer, preaching praying, and other things, that we will speak these things into each other's lives. So today we find ourselves within a series, within a series, within a series, within a series. series. So let me tell you what I mean by that. So first, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of the first series. That is the series that we are in right now as a church, Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And within the Sermon on the Mount, we've come to what has now become an extended discussion on the topic of prayer, this particular devotional practice. We had prayer and almsgiving and fasting, all of those those proper devotional, religious, Christian, spiritual practices that Jesus discussed when he talked about not being performers in front of other people, not doing our works to be seen by other people. And so we had, as one of those, the topic of prayer. And then we entered into what was, by Jesus, an extended discussion on this topic of prayer. And within our discussion of prayer, we've come to a very familiar passage known as the Lord's Prayer. And this is the way you probably have referred to it or heard it referred to throughout your life. Probably something that you have encountered uh, many times, perhaps. Uh, but it's, it's probably better titled the Disciples' Prayer. This is a prayer that is prayed by those who follow Jesus. And this is Jesus' model of prayer that he gives to us. He lays out for us how we are to pray. So that is kind of the, within the topic of prayer, we're looking at specifically now the Lord's Prayer. And then within our discussion of the Lord's Prayer, we've come to the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to call Asking Abba. So the first half of the Lord's Prayer deals with God and his glory. We we had a title for that, Adoring Abba. And now we come to the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which are the the second set of petitions, which are three. There are three. the The top half is three petitions that deal specifically with the glory of God. Elevating God, considering him. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the second set of petitions deals with us. There is your, and then there is us asking God. And so today we'll enter into these petitions. So a series within a series within a series within a series. And we ended last week by looking at the last petition of the first half, those first three petitions, and it was your will be done done. And I think we could could understand the Lord's Prayer in this way, that in many ways, the Lord's Prayer is all about this, this particular topic, the will of God. The entirety of the Lord's Prayer really is encapsulated under the title of God's will. Essentially, it contains God's will for human beings, and I think as you, as you read a number of commentators on this passage, I think it's, it's right to conclude that in the Lord's Prayer, we have something that is comprehensive. In other words, there is nothing that you could rightly ever pray to God. And there are plenty of things that we could wrongly pray, but there, there's nothing that we could rightly pray to God that would not be included in what we have here in the Lord's Prayer, these six petitions really are comprehensive in nature. They cover all the areas of life that we would speak to God about. So the Lord's Prayer has a way of reintroducing us to the purposes and priorities of God for our lives. We get the first half, your, then we get the second half, us. God's glory is our focus as we've talked about many times, and it's only within the context of God's glory that we then consider our good. We know that as Christians, our good brings glory to God. But we should never consider our good in isolation from the glory of God. It is only in pursuing the glory of God that we then find our good. It's under the umbrella of his glory that we then find blessedness. As we started out with the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those, blessed are those with the Beatitudes. So let me ask you just a few questions before we jump into what we're going to look at today. Have your priorities changed since we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer in particular? Have your priorities changed or have they remained the same? One of the things that we hope happens when the Word of God is opened, whether that's at home in your own personal private time with God or in a small group setting where you're reading and discussing God's Word together, or most particularly as, as we come together as a corporate body and we hear preaching from God's Word, one of the things that we hope happens is that it changes us, that we don't remain the same. That we actually hear the word and heed the word. This is one of the things that we have in our membership covenant when you sign it, is we One of the items there is that we say members hear and heed the word of God. That we're saying as we come to, to, to become a member, as we come to covenant together at Four Corners Church, we are saying that we are committing ourselves to this hearing and this heeding. So just a question here, as we've been in the Lord's Prayer, are you heeding the Word of God in this area that it has transformed your priorities? It's changed the way you think about God and self and the relationship between the two. Let me ask it this way. Has there been a greater greater desire for the hallowing and the reigning of God since we've been going down this road? Since we've gone down this road of the Lord's prayer, there should be a recognition at the very beginning that God's name being hallowed and his kingdom advancing in the world is of top priority for our lives, of top priority for our prayers. So how is that going? Let me ask this question. Have you tried using the Lord's prayer as a skeleton? You know, I will tell you in all honesty, All transparency, before I came to this passage of Scripture, I would say that the Lord's Prayer was a bit distant for me. Before I came to preach through this passage, uh, as we came to the Sermon on the Mount, before I came to this passage on prayer, on the Lord's Prayer, personally... The Lord's Prayer was something that I had always kind of seen as as a bit detached. I shared with you how when I was 20 that I was really trying to figure out how to pray and God brought this book into my life about the Lord's Prayer. And I remember reading through it a little bit, you know how we start most books. We read the first 10, 15, maybe 30 pages and then it starts collecting dust. But one of the things that has happened for me personally as I have gone through this section of God's Word is that it really has shown me more and more that, that I ought to pray with the Lord's Prayer always as my template? That the Lord's Prayer should be the skeleton for my daily prayers to God? Is that the case with you? Have you responded to God's Word in this very particular way? And then I want you to consider this. One way of answering the question, what is God's will for my life, is to pray in this way. So we ask the question, we come to the Bible, we come to church, we come to God's people, and we're always asking, we live in a culture where this is a a paramount question among Christians. What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for me? And one of the ways that I think we could answer that question in a very biblical way is to say this. God's will for you is that you pray like this. And when we pray like this, catch this, when we pray like this, God's will, his purposes and his priorities become increasingly the purposes and priorities of your life. So that God's will actually begins to manifest itself in a true biblical way in the everyday life of every Christian who responds to this prayer rightly. So today... We begin the second half of the Lord's Prayer, asking Abba, you see that up there. But this morning, we will only cover the first petition of this half, which is verse 11, chapter six. You can go ahead and turn there. Uh, Matthew chapter six. So we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount about halfway. Matthew chapter six, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the petition that we are going to look at this morning. I want to do something a little different today as we are gathered here together as we read God's Word. I want to ask you to stand as we read God's Word together, but actually want us to read the Lord's Prayer in unison together. So you have your Bibles there. Turn to it. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. We'll start with our Father in heaven in verse 9 and we'll end with verse 13. You can go ahead and stand if you will. Now let me make a quick note before we read this in unison. Reading in unison is always a little bit difficult, can be. Um, But this is something that we're going to start doing habitually here at Four Corners, particularly after the Lord's Supper. So uh, you'll remember that we do the Lord's Supper. If you've been here, we do the Lord's Supper. And after that, we have a little bit of a period of silence or a period where there's instrumental music. You just have some time to pray and talk to the Lord and respond to the service. And then after that, one of the things we're going to begin to include is an affirmation of faith. This is where we're going to stand up as a local church, and together we're going to affirm what it is we believe. Now, a number of these affirmations of faith will come from Scripture. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, you have that we believe that Jesus Christ died according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He he was raised according to the Scriptures. Passages like that, but also passages or or, uh, chunks of text like the Apostles' Creed, portions of the Heidelberg Catechism or the Westminster Catechism Confession, So these are things that we're going to start doing together. So maybe this morning could be a little bit of practice for us. Um, So we're in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And we're going to go through to the end of verse 13. Let's read together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Go ahead and sit down, if you will. Thank you. Just want to make a quick note before I pray and ask. Feels a little strange to pray after reading that prayer, uh, but I want to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time looking at this prayer. Uh, But I want to quickly note that verses 14 and 15 are going to be included. You'll see that those verses are included in this second section, asking Abba. And that's because verses 14 and 15 really are an expansion or a further explanation of that second petition in the second half, which we see in verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So in this section, which we're covering now, we will look also at those verses. But let me pray for us. And Just ask that the Lord will bless our time in his word, and he will change us, that we will heed his word, and that we will become better prayers. Let's ask him. Our Father, you are gloriously enthroned in heaven. Father, you are omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and you are loving and compassionate and kind and merciful and gracious to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Father, we are grateful that we pray to you and we can have great confidence that you hear us and that you love us and that you care about our very specific needs. Father, we ask that in our lives, in our church, that your name would be hallowed, that you would be held up as great, that people all around this church, all around our community groups, all around each family, that people will come to say, God is great, God is great good. He is incredible. He's amazing. He's powerful. That they will come to say that because your truth is born out in our lives. Your character, your attributes become increasingly displayed in our lives. Father, we ask that you will convert sinners, that you will build up the saints, and that you will accomplish your purposes in each of us for your glory. Father, we realize that oftentimes our purposes are not your purposes. That even today, as we, as we sit here, as we stand here this morning, that even today we recognize that each of us is undoubtedly pursuing things, things at work, things in family life, hobbies, things that we want to do in the future that are not from you, but are from self. And God, we ask that increasingly it will be the case that our purposes line up with your purposes that our will is your will. And so, Father, we pray that you will help us in that regard. We ask that you will meet our physical needs. There are some in our church who are sick, who are suffering in various ways. We ask that you will be gracious and merciful to them in your provisions. And, Father, we pray that you will forgive us for all the ways in which we fail to obey you and obey your word and love you, all the ways which we fail to trust you as our Father, all the ways that we fail to honor your Son, and to believe that his vicarious death and resurrection is for us and that we have salvation through him alone. Father, would you forgive us for our sins? And we ask, too, that you would protect us from future sin that you would lead us away from moments in which we could fail, from situations where we could fall. God, we recognize our frailty and our weakness, and we pray that you would uphold us and keep us by your Holy Spirit, that you would send your angels to be ministering spirits to those of us who belong to you, that you would keep us in the faith and that we would not fall away. God, we pray that you will protect us from the evil one as he seeks to destroy us and destroy our families and to destroy our church. We pray, Father, that you will do all of these things for your glory and for the sake of your Holy Son. God, we love you. We thank you for time together today. We pray that your word will be so clear to us and that you will use it to change us. We ask for all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So the title, as I've said already is asking Abba. Today, part one, we're just covering the first petition. Give us this day our daily bread. And so we are praying essentially that our sustenance will be supplied. You can go ahead and put up that next slide if you will. If you will, will. We're praying that our sustenance Will be supplied. So we've already prayed that his attributes would be acknowledged. Remember the first set that his attributes would be acknowledged, that his reign would be realized, that his purposes would be perfected. And now we're looking, we're going from your, your, your to us, us, us. And we see that in this this fourth petition, we have our sustenance supplied. That is what we pray to the Father. And I think there are four things to consider as we try to understand this this petition as we try to unfold what is going on as we speak to God in this way give us this day our daily bread what is what's present in this petition and i think there are at least four things. I always say at least <laughs> because you, you never exhaust any portion of Scripture. is amazing. And I, I can say this over and over and over again. I'm not just saying this. It's not just cliche. Uh, but God's Word is so amazing and rich. And if you're not in it, if you don't read God's Word, if you, if you don't spend time with Him in His Word, man, you're missing out because God's Word is so rich. It is so deep. It is so powerful and effective. And so we see at least... At least these things. The omnipotent ownership, the common concerns, the daily dependence, and the proper perspective, I think, come out of this petition. So let's look at the first. The omnipotent ownership. The first words, give us. Those are the first words that we find here, give us, and they serve to remind us that we are asking for someone to do something. We're asking for someone to act on our behalf, to act for us, with regard to us. And this should immediately draw our minds back to those very first words. And in fact, if we could say that the Lord's Prayer, if if we could sum up the Lord's Prayer, really, we sum it up with these these words, our prayer. Father in heaven it, that encapsulates really everything that we will encounter as we go through the lord's prayer. But verse nine, we have that address, Our Father in heaven. And do you remember what Jesus says about heaven? We have to go all the way back in chapter five to a passage that was pretty unrelated, well, not entirely unrelated, but it, but it was very different, a very different topic from what we're looking at now. And we go back to Matthew chapter five, verses 34 to 35, and I want you to hear what Jesus says about heaven, and it'll help us understand a little more these words, "Our Father in heaven." So he says there, verses 34 to 35 of chapter five, "But I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God." But then listen to what he says about the Earth. You see this distinction, heaven and earth. He says, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. So you imagine God's throne is heaven and his footstool where he rests his feet is upon the earth. And he goes on to say, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So here's what we have. The word heaven reminds us that God is the ruler, the governor, the overseer of everything. He is the ruler of all that he rules supreme over the earth. And we've already seen this with the words, Your kingdom come. We talked about how we, God, God does not need to be crowned king. We're not praying that God become king. God rules over every speck of dust, he rules over every speck of dust on Mars. He rules over every single thing that he has made, both seen and unseen. So we already have encountered this idea of him as king. But I think packed into this idea of our father in heaven is already his kingship, his rulership, his throne. He sits over the earth and his feet rest upon the earth, as it were. And as the one who is over all things, he is also the one who owns all things things. And even more, he is the one who dispenses all things. If you've ever gotten a gift from someone, it doesn't make any sense. If you get a gift from someone who went and took that from somebody else, that's not a gift. That's stealing. That's robbery. Okay? But if someone takes something that they own, they purchased it with their own money, and they then bring that and give that to you, even if you recycle Christmas gifts because that Christmas gift came to you, you take that, you give that to somebody else. It's yours, you own it, and you give it to somebody else. That is a gift from your ownership. That is yours to give. And I want you to see that that is the case for God with regard to everything. He owns everything. Anything that could be given or could be dispensed is from him. So I want you to see this idea in a few places. Romans 11:36. Hear these words: For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. From him, all things, everything. James 1:17, which was our call to worship. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything is owned by him and dispensed by him from his resources as the creator of all. We see this in creation. The very first words of the Bible make this abundantly clear to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before there was nothing, God made it and then there was something. If he made it, he owns it. And not only did he make it and set it in motion and in a sense give it, because when you read Genesis 1, you get the impression very much that God is creating a world to give to Adam and Eve. It's amazing. Adam and Eve are to care for it as stewards of God, but it is a gift to God. It is a gift to them from God. All of creation, a gift to Adam and Eve from God. So he he gives it in the beginning when he makes it, and he continues as he sustains it. So I want you to hear these words from Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verses 10 to 15. Listen to how the psalmist describes God's sustaining of what he's made. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Let me just stop there. I'm gonna come back and read it again in a moment, but No mention has been made right there of man. That's one of the most incredible things. You can watch some of these BBC uh, Discovery Channel, National Geographic things. You could see creation. One of the things that always fascinates me is you have these cameras out there in places where people don't go. Where there are no human beings and what you see is vibrancy. What you see is life. What you see is all kinds of instincts housed in these little creatures of such diversity. And you see God caring for the prey and caring for the predator and caring for the vegetation. He's caring for it with weather patterns and climate. All of these things cared for by the maker. And there's not even a person there to see it until someone comes in from National Geographic, puts a little camera there, and we watch it unto the glory of God. We get to see it for God's glory. In some ways, I think all of this technology is meant further to penetrate into all the things that God has made that we might glorify him. Now I want to finish reading it. So Psalm 104, it goes on to say, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. There's man. That he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Heart. He creates it, he sustains it. You cause the grass to grow, it says. So when we come to the words give us, we should stop. We should pause, not go any further. We should just stop for a moment and consider this that the one whom we address, our Father in heaven, our Heavenly Father, is the omnipotent owner of who can do all things and who gives all things to his creatures, especially to his children. So let me just ask a few questions before we move on to the next point, which is the common concern. Do you really believe that God can give you what you need? Let me say it this way. Do you really believe that God can give you what you need? Your father is God. Your father made everything. Do you believe that? Do you believe as the psalmist says that God rules from his lofty abode? Same image that you get with Jesus. The, the heaven is the throne of God. This same idea, his lofty abode. Do you believe practically that this is true? So much of our anxieties stem from the fact that we don't believe our Father in heaven. If we just prayed that from the heart more, we would not worry so much. We would not be so filled with anxious concerns, anxious thoughts. So let me ask this question. In light of that, how often do you spin your wheels and drive yourself crazy with anxiety rather than really asking the one who gives? Just concern and concern and concern and concern, racking your mind and your chest is getting all tight. I can't tell you how many times God has convicted me when I have been riding down the road and, and, and I have, God has said to my soul, I felt it, pray. And instead of praying, I've planned, I've strategized. I talk out loud when I do that, so you know, I just, that's how I do it. So I'm riding down the road and instead of praying, and asking for God's help, and asking for his wisdom. I think, and I strategize, and it comes to nothing, because it's all me, and it's not God. How often do we do this, and we get in a knot in life, and God is saying, come to me, child, come to me, pray, Abba, speak to me, ask me to give you this day your daily bread. I also want to ask this question, are you grateful for what God, the owner and dispenser of all things has already given? You know, right now we could be we could leave here this morning and think in terms of praying for provisions, but I think it would be worthwhile to first consider all the previous provisions that God has already given. You know, a lack of gratitude. I think I think anxiety and a lack of gratitude are connected. Because here's the thing, anxiety looks to the future with unbelief in our Father in heaven. Anxiety looks to the future with unbelief. And I think that ingratitude looks to the past with unbelief. Because we look back over all the things that have happened to us and we think somehow we earn it, we we earned it, or we deserve it, or it was in our own strength, or it was really in other people, or whatever else, but it's not from his hand. Hear these words from Paul. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? Your bank account? God. Everything that you have, every piece of property, every bit of health, every relationship that we have is from God, and he can give and he can take away. Everything is from him. He's the owner of it all. We own nothing. And here, I think, is a place just to draw an application to us. This is at the heart of giving. As we think about giving, this is part of the theology of giving. That you don't own your stuff. I don't own my stuff. God owns it. God gave it to me. And he wants me to show that I'm grateful by giving it back to him for his work, for his purposes. So, What are the needs that Jesus has in mind in this petition? So we got these words, give us. And that reminds us of the omnipotent ownership of God. But then we come secondly to the common concerns. If the main request is give us, the main object desired is here described as bread. Now we know that bread is a staple item. Unless you're on a low carb diet, I guess. But bread is and has always been throughout the history of the world a staple item for people. And it was in Jesus' day. In fact, it was common that a loaf of bread was sort of a daily ration for a person then. A loaf of bread. It's a staple item, an essential part of human sustenance. I can remember being in boot camp for the Marine Corps and I was sitting there and they were, taught, they were telling us, they were talking to us about all the ways that you can get in trouble and they were talking to us about non-judicial punishment And all of the ways that, you know, if you do this, you do that, this will happen. And one of the things that came up in that was that if you do certain things in the Navy and Marine Corps, you're out on a ship, that they can confine you with only bread and water. Now, I recently read something where they're trying to get Donald Trump to change that because it's this old, uh, this old antiquated idea, this old antiquated penalty, you know, similar to you know, walking off of a plank or something. It's, it's an old, old, old idea, an old thing, but it still is in force that you can sort of be confined with only bread and water. And I think it speaks to the fact that bread is this very staple item, that it will keep you alive. It won't taste very good. It's not going to be a feast, but it will keep you alive. So that's the imagery that we have here with bread. But later, in Matthew chapter 6, this same chapter, in that passage on worry, that for some of us might be well known, Jesus refers to the basics of human life in terms of three things. So don't worry about your life, he says. And then he unpacks that. We'll get there. But he says, essentially, food, drink, and clothing. What you eat, what you drink, and what you put on. So we know that at the bare minimum, what we have here is is a kind of symbol, that bread is a symbol for those things which are essential or necessary for human life. We know that it at least involves food and drink and clothing. But I think it extends beyond that, and I think this speaks also to the comprehensiveness of this prayer. We're not just praying for something like, you know, food or we'll die or drink or we'll die. And I agree with what Martin Luther says, where he says that bread stands for, this is what he says, everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. It can be kind of extended out to these things. D.A. Carson similarly says, that it includes every good, whether food, clothing, work, leisure, strength, intelligence, friendship. You could add to this rest and other things. This is encapsulated really and contained in this idea of bread. So what we have here are the common concerns of human existence, these are the things natural to human survival and flourishing, I would say. We're not just talking about scraping by. We're not just talking about getting by. But this is, this is a picture here of human beings, as God intended, flourishing. Human survival, human preservation, and even human flourishing. We know that when we don't get rest, we survive. But a lot of things fall apart when we don't get rest. Our work falls apart when we don't get rest. Our relationships fall apart when we don't get rest. You engage with your kids differently when you don't get rest, with your spouse differently. That is another example of something that we need. We know that we need friendship. We're not gonna die if we don't have any friends. We're not gonna die without friendship, but we know that this is an essential part of what it means to be human. These are common things that human beings seek and desire. And we are told to ask God for these things in prayer. Give us bread. Give us these things. So I want to ask two questions briefly. Do you really believe that God cares about your physical person? You know, we've just been talking about God hallowing of God's name. That one seems like way up there in the clouds. Your kingdom come, way up there. Your will be done. We start, especially in our culture, we start to sort of bring that down to earth a little bit, although we have to be careful, as I said last week, in how we do that, how we personalize that. But, you know, at the very beginning, God recognizes the fact that we are a, a psychosomatic person, That we involve soul and body, that we are a soul and a body joined together, that our soul never exists, our spirit never exists apart from our body. Here on earth, we know that when we die, our soul goes to be with God, but guess what? That's not ideal. That's not the end. That's the reason we believe in something beyond die and go to heaven. It's dying, go to heaven, and then when Christ returns, he will raise us from the dead so that our bodies can be reunited with our souls and we can be truly, eternally, beautifully human. Just like our Lord Jesus will be now forever. So, do you do you believe that? Do you believe that God cares about your body? That God cares even about the most seemingly insignificant and trivial details of your physical frame. He really does. He cares about your rest. He cares about your diet. He cares about how you engage with your friends. He cares about your work. We've just spent quite a bit of time looking at this topic of work in uh, men's theology where we've, we've looked at a book called The Gospel at Work. And basically the the theme of that is how do we go about our jobs in a way that reflects the truth of the gospel, that we serve King Jesus? How does serving King Jesus bring meaning to our jobs is the idea of that book. God cares about our jobs. He cares about how we go about sending our emails. He goes about, he, he cares about how we think about our alarm clock going off. He cares about everything. In our lives, physical and spiritual. Do you believe that? Or has all of this made you think that God's just sort of thinking about all these spiritual things exclusively? He doesn't care about the hairs on your head. He cares about every hair on your head. He knows how many there are. Jesus tells us. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from his will. And are you not much more precious than them? Jesus says, that's how much our Father cares for us. So how does God meet these needs? We know that God meets our needs. We're supposed to ask him, give us our bread. How does God meet these needs? And I want to just offer a few reflections here on this question. First, it comes through his wisdom and ultimate purposes. Think about that. It comes through his wisdom and ultimate purposes purposes. You know, God sees us. He's eternal. He's not bound by time. He sees us in glory. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing that God actually sees us glorified in heaven in the future, our future. We don't even know how that works. We, we just bend our mind. We can't even bend our mind around. we can't even begin to, but we understand that God can see us from that direction, our glorification, our having been kept in Christ, our dying, our rising, our being glorified, made blameless in his image without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And he looks back through that to now. So who knows what we need? Not us. He does. Because see, everything we need must meet that ultimate goal. Because God doesn't settle for some little superficial good for us. He loves us more than we could ever fathom or love ourselves. And so God wants us to have an ultimate good, a perfect bliss and blessedness, an eternal happiness that we can't even see. And so he orchestrates our lives toward that end. And everything we think we need, God comes along and he says, well, just like our little kids, You think you need three packs of M&Ms, but no, you don't. I see the future. I see what's going to happen to your teeth. I see what's going to happen when it comes time for bed. I see all these things. That's God. He sees beyond this moment, this thing that we think we need. So we have to always consider that as we think about God's need, our needs, and we ask God to give us our bread, our needs, our basic needs, we must always consider that he dispenses with great wisdom, always knowing our future our end. We see this. Philippians 4:19. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. According to His riches in glory. It's a bigger idea than just this specific thing. And then Proverbs 30:8-9. Remove far from me. Listen to that. I love this verse. These verses. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. That's an interesting prayer. How many people pray that? God, don't ever make me rich. Don't ever make me rich. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Maybe sometimes we think, why am I not more full? Why am I not fuller? And the answer God would say is, for this reason. That you not forgive me, that you depend upon me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. That's incredible when you think about it. God is looking for our needs to be met in the right way. Second thing I want, to, I want you to see is that it comes in the midst of a fallen world. You know, some of us want God to meet our needs in such a way that now we live as though we are in paradise. We forget, Adam, we forget that we in our flesh are in Adam, but in our spirit are in Christ, that our bodies will die. So ultimately God will provide our needs, but that does not negate the fact that we're all dying. That does not negate the fact that not only are we dying, but that very death shows itself up in the flesh when we sin and that we are still in a fallen world. So we must always remember, we ask God to give us our needs in this context. Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. God does not promise us a trouble-free life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's the promise that we have from God, is he ultimately cares for us, but we still are going to have troubles. We still are going to have to endure things in this life. So it comes through his wisdom. It comes in the midst of a fallen world. I want you to see this too. It comes through our own labor. It doesn't just drop from heaven into our laps. We see this especially in a fallen world. Genesis 3.19, it says, By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. By the sweat of your face, human labor is a part of what it means for us to receive our bread. Paul will say, If a man does not work, he should not eat. Part of the means by which God will provide for you and for me is through the work of our own hands. The work we do, the labor that we do in the world. We see this in 2 Thessalonians 3.12 where Paul says that the believers are to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So God meets our needs through our own work. Providentially, he gives us strength and rest and talents and skills so that we can do work by which we earn income by which we then have our needs met. All of it comes from him, but there are means. It's not a miracle thing, it's not supernatural, it's natural. God uses natural means to accomplish these things, still from him, but naturally so. And then finally, I want you to see that it comes through community. At the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we get these words about the early Christians. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's what the early Christians did. And Paul says in Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Titus three fourteen, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. One of the ways that you have undoubtedly seen God meet your needs is through his people. Still God. Who met your needs? God met your needs. Through, by means of, his people. And so this is another way that we see the manner in which God does this. But we don't just pray for bread. We pray for daily bread. And that's where we come to the next portion. The next point here, the daily bread. Dependence. Probably one of the most vivid images that lies behind this petition is the manna that God provided the Israelites in the wilderness. Do you remember that story? So they're out there in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the rugged terrain of wilderness and desert, mountains. And God provides them every day bread, a kind of cakey, oily bread. Bread that rested on the ground. And they would go out in the morning and they would pick that up for that day only. And if they tried to keep some and hold it in the house, they would, be, they would stand condemned for doing that and it would rot. But it would not rot for that day. God provided them bread every single day. And I think that image lies behind what we have here. It says in Exodus sixteen four. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So they were to trust God's provision daily, which means this. There was never a moment when they did not have to depend on God to provide their needs. Every single day they had to depend on him or they would not eat for that day. And that is exactly what I think Jesus is communicating to us. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus tells us. Now there's some uncertainty as to whether the word translated daily means for the current day or for the following day, but the meaning is essentially the same. It really doesn't matter because what it means is that we are to depend on God day by day. So let me give you this quick application. I think the idea of a quiet time receives a little bit of fresh support here. So maybe you've, uh, you've kind of grown up in, in, in Christian circles or whatever and you kind of laugh jokingly about the idea of a quiet time. Oh, you know, that's that sort of thing. This just another box that you check. And it can be communicated in that way. Maybe that's how you've thought about your daily time in the Bible, that that's just something that you do as a Christian. If you don't do it, you should feel really bad about it. And if you do do it, great, you're doing great, you're a great Christian. And that's kind of how maybe you've thought about it. I think maybe this is a better way to think about our daily quiet time. We come to God, we must come to God daily for his graces, his mercies, his provisions, his supplying of our sustenance for that day. Every day we wake up, we should fall on our faces and say, God, I cannot protect myself today. I cannot sustain myself today. I cannot make sure that I'm a good husband or a good father today. I cannot ensure that I, will be, that I will do my work well today. I cannot be sure that I will have the strength I need for today. But you can provide for me this day and this day alone. And you know what this does? It stamps out worry because you're not worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow. Every day, you know, just as God provided that manna on the ground, that God's going to provide the manna of his grace for you for that day. You know, I think about the Lord Jesus. What he endured on the cross. Consider this. The cross loomed over his entire life. His entire life. Every moment. Perhaps even at 12. Probably at 12. His whole life, he knew what he would suffer. Not just torture, but he would bear the wrath of God as vile sinner in our place. But do you know how Jesus was able to even get out of bed in the morning? I mean, think about it. If that was hanging over your life or my life, we wouldn't be able to move. We'd be just paralyzed with anxiety and fear. It would just be this daunting, horrific, torturous thing that lies out in the future. And it's just, it's just hovering over us like a monster. Jesus got up every day and he did the work of God every single day because he trusted that God would provide what he needed for that day and then the day when he would pray, Father, take this cup from me but not my will but yours. He trusted in God for that day as he was being beaten and as he hung on the cross, he trusted God for that day, only that day. And that is what Jesus calls us to do. That is That is the solution to your anxiety, regardless of what anyone else will tell you. That is the answer to an anxiety problem for the person who knows the Lord. So we've considered the request, give us the thing requested, bread, and the timing or the frequency of the provision daily. But there's one very important big picture point that we need to close with briefly this morning as we finish up. And that is the proper perspective. So we know that God cares about our physical needs. It's very important that we know that and believe that. He wants us to pray for such things and to entrust such things into his sovereign hands every single day, trusting him every day until we die. You don't have to worry about the hour of your death right now. Live today. But I want you to see that we must always view our physical needs in our prayers for physical needs with the proper perspective. Three things that I want you to notice as we finish up today about this petition, give us this day our daily bread. Three things which I think will help to give us a healthy perspective as we come at this petition. The first is I want you to notice the weight in the second half, that it's on the spiritual so see this, the first three petitions in the first half all deal with God's glory. The second set of petitions, the last three, all deal with our needs. And notice this, where's the weight? What are your greatest needs? What are my greatest needs? It's not physical. It's not that I don't get sick. It's not that I have great relationships. It's not that I'm, that I'm just a, a prosperous person. It is spiritual. It's my soul. It's my spirit. It's my eternity. That's what matters most. Notice, give us this day our daily bread. Yes, we are in bodies, but then notice where Jesus goes. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice, the weight is on the spiritual. I also want you to notice this. You cannot read, give us this day our daily bread. If you've ever encountered the New Testament, really to any degree, you cannot read this without thinking of what the real bread is. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You can't read this petition without going there because immediately you realize that every time we eat and our our physical needs are satisfied, we are to remember that ultimately Jesus is that bread which satisfies us eternally, fully, internally, forever. Forever. We also read in Matthew 4, 4, what does Jesus say to the devil when he tempts him? Jesus has been fasting for all of these days. He's hungry. He is truly, truly hungry. He's exhausted. He is starving to death. And Satan comes and says, turn this loaf, turn this stone into bread if you are the son of God. What does Jesus say to Satan? Man shall not live. By bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This book is your bread. This book is your bread. You ask, to ask God for daily bread and to ignore this book is to be a fool. It is to be a fool. The real bread is Christ found in Scripture. That is where we find life. That's where we find wisdom even for this life. All of the satisfying of our physical needs finally is ultimately for the glory of God. We know that where? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Listen to this. Whether you eat or drink, you're eating that bread, being taken care of, being sustained. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's amazing. Think about it. Even in this request, which seems so earthy. It's so dirty with the soil of this physical earth, so to speak. It's down here. Even here, we are elevated immediately to the hallowing of God's name. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so we know That even as we say these things, even as we pray for health and we pray for leisure and we pray for friendships, we pray for more money in our bank account, we pray for a better job, we pray for our children and for our marriages, even as we pray for these very earthly, physical things, which are part of what it means to be human, that we are always saying, hallowed be your name, always, because it is all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you care for our hairs down to our toes. You care for us from the most external layer of our skin to the marrow of our bones. You care for our physical frame. We praise you for that, Father, that you love us in this very concrete way that you meet our needs. And God, we pray that we will trust that, that we'll leave here today with less anxiety than when we came, that we'll leave here today with greater confidence in you as the sovereign, omnipotent owner of everything, that you care for us, that you want to give good things to your children, that we'll trust your purposes, that our, what we think we need is not what we really need sometimes. Father, help us trust that, and help us today to feast on the bread of life. He who feeds us forever. God, we pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.